0: guys hear louise clicking (laughs) yeah she's clicking um hey guys
1: hello
0: welcome to the 13th floor podcast i'm Cece. i'm alex i'm james and this is our dog louise and we are all here to talk about some strange things on the 13th floor podcast
1: yeah and this
0: week
2: we're talking about strange places
0: yeah we're returning to abandoned places thank you to ashley who submitted this topic
1: all around it's, me are abandoned places.
0: You know, James, I'm pretty sure you sang that in our last Abandoned Places episode, uh, too. So we have made keep up multiple the
1: like, references yeah. to Mad World. We have made uh, multiple references to Mad World.
0: What is Mad World?
1: It's a, The song. The song
0: oh, it's a song. <laughs> I've heard of it. I've heard of it, but I, I didn't know that that was the name of it. Mm. Yeah. I learn something new every day. Look and You guys, you. if you're not learning something new every day, then
2: you're a failure.
0: No, you're not a <laughs> failure. But I would start trying to learn something new every day because life is worth living, and you got you got to seek the adventure. <laughs> how how are you guys doing?
2: Doing swell.
0: Yeah. Nope. Yep. Yeah, Alex and I are, after we're finished recording tonight, we're going to watch an episode of the TV show on Netflix called Blown Away. Have you seen it, James? I have not. It's a competition show uh. where it's glassblowers. What? Yeah, glass blowers. That's something I always paint. wanted to do. Oh, it's it looks so cool. It makes me want to do it, but also I know that I would sweat too much.
1: Uh, that's another thing. I want to eat molten glass, but I also know that would kill me. Oh,
0: my God. It looks so delicious,
1: doesn't it? I I mean, do you
2: know that, though, for sure? (laughs)
1: That's a good point.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Don't encourage him. No, yeah, that's... It looks... There's something about it when you see it. It's just like, wow.
1: It looks so yummy.
0: I don't know if it looks yummy, but it does Mm. look like it might burn if I were to...
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, I'm going to watch Sweet Home. Have you guys... Well, I know Cece has not seen it, but Alex... I'm nervous. Oh wait, yeah,
2: oh. it's a new show on Netflix. Yeah, with yeah, those yeah, little yeah, monsters yeah. and stuff.
1: Terrifying!
2: It, it's terrifying. Oh yeah. Oh, it looks like it was like humorous to me when I saw no.
1: the trailer. Maybe it's, it's not campy, man. Scary. I mean, there's a few moments where you're like, eh, but no, it's more like it's like Walking Dead and Nightbreed had a kid. It's it's messed <gasps> up. Maybe I saw something else then. That's mm. something that you
0: can watch after I've fallen asleep on the couch I next see, to
2: you. I want to see the other show. It's a Alice in Borderland, is what it's called. And it looks
1: awesome. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen, I've seen uh, clips of that. I haven't seen it though. It looks good.
0: Well, you know what? I, you mm-hmm. know what? I want to watch um, the rest of the season of Sugar Rush, where they make delicious cupcakes. All right. And anyway. Okay, fine. Yeah, I, mean, I guess yeah, this yeah. has turned
1: into our streaming show. <laughs>
0: My stuff isn't as interesting as your guys. Okay, fine. Let's talk about something else. I guess we need to say hello to people from yeah, around the globe. Yeah, you do your intro. Yeah. Let me pull it up. Because I am not prepared.
1: Hey, everybody from around the globe, we're going to say hi to you, so listen with your earlobe.
0: Yes. (laughs) See? If you listen with your earlobe,
1: though,
2: you will not hear anything.
0: Mm. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Your earlobe's not going to do any hearing for you. Mm. Okay, you guys. Today, we are going to say hello to all of our beautiful listeners in the Philippines, and then also in Canada. In Canada, you guys, your map has been growing like crazy. So thanks to everybody who's listening in Canada. Today, we're going to give a big shout out to British Columbia and in the United States, Alex. All right, Alex, you guys, he's saying hello to everybody in Alabama. So all of our wonderful listeners in Alabama, thank you so much for listening. You know what? It doesn't matter where in the world you're listening. We just want to thank you and give you two high fives in the air after we've freshly sanitized our hands.
1: You know what's weird? What? Today's episode is going to be about places where we'll never have listeners.
0: Oh my gosh, James. That's really dark and sad.
2: Or hey. plot twist, maybe.
0: Well, the, yeah, uh-huh. that's the thing, James. Listen, I'm talking about a place where there could possibly be people listening. Oh. So okay. get off your high horse. Okay. <laughs> you might be talking a place that is completely abandoned, but some of us are just talking about places that are partially abandoned. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, I thought this
2: was abandoned places, not partially abandoned places.
0: You guys will understand (laughs) when I get to my topic. You guys, guess what's happening in just a few short weeks? Our Patreon. Our Patreon is launching. Yay! Yay! So, you guys, that's going to be coming soon to a 13thfloorpodcast.com website near you. So, stay tuned. We've got lots of exciting content that's going to be coming your way. And also we want your guys' feedback on what type of content you want. So let us know once the yeah. Patreon launches. We will let you know once it is live. Um, probably via Instagram, Thirteen Floor Podcast.
1: And carrier pigeons.
0: And carrier pigeons. James has has a big flock of carrier pigeons that he keeps on the roof of his condo. Yeah. Oh
1: it's a yeah.
0: Beautiful condo too. We got to see your, your back door.
1: <laughs> oh, so
0: yeah. um, so yeah you guys if you guys have a topic you want to submit 13th floor podcast Instagram Facebook page our website and also email them to us 13th floor podcast at gmail.com I did my spiel what's our icebreaker so how about we just do something that's crazy okay
2: uh, okay let's get wild
0: would you rather have
2: <laughs> Oh jeez.
0: snakes for hair
2: not so bad.
0: Or squid for feet. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, um, definitely the snakes for hair because I'm not walking on them.
0: Hmm, this is a hard. This is a really hard one for me because I don't like snakes and they terrify me. But right. maybe if they were growing out of my head, I wouldn't be quite as afraid. Because while I hate snakes, I also one of my biggest pet peeves. Is if my socks get wet?
1: Yeah, yeah. Oh man. Yeah. No thanks. And I, this is coming from somebody who loves squid. They're one of my favorite animals. But I don't want them for feet.
2: Um. What I would. It was- you know what? I might do the squid for feet because I could cover up my feet, and no one would know I had squid feet. My hair. I think it looks cooler. Snakes. I'm not fitting. Yeah, but the the rules of <laughs> the rules of the universe have been established. Are these snakes going to be able to bite me? I if I lay on them the wrong way are they going to nibble on me?
0: Oh, that's a good question. You know,
2: like <laughs> do they need to be fed?
0: I don't think that I don't think that they would attack you because they're part of you. And it's like, you know, if they attack you, they'll they'll they could kill you and then yeah, they'd die too. Yeah, but if
2: you if you meet somebody and you really like them and you get close to them, you go for them for the kiss. Those snakes get that kiss first and put them to
1: see. Like, in my perfect them. fantasy world, you share a consciousness, so they do whatever you want them to
2: do, oh, which is wonderful. Now, that's pretty cool. I mean, that's handy. Yeah,
0: that's <laughs> handy. Yeah, you know, Alex, if you wanted them to carry something, you just put it on top of your head, they'll hold it for you.
1: Yeah, yeah. your little
0: squid feet aren't going to do that.
2: No, but I can hide them.
0: You can yeah. also yeah. see hide the your one thing if it was just
1: tentacles, hand. if it was tentacles, I would be torn. But but squid, like a whole flipping squid for a, a whole flipping
0: squid. Well, yeah, this is no. the thing. What if it was one of <laughs> the ones with a big beak? And That's you what could squid is. use that don't as that,
2: I don't know if they all have the big beak or not. Well you could all use them, that yeah.
0: as like the heel of your shoe. Do, 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 do.
1: It's even <laughs> creepy.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so you guys, um that is our that is our icebreaker today. I came up with it off the top of my head. Um, and you know what we're gonna ask Killed you guys it. on the thirteenth floor Instagram? What would you rather have snakes for hair or squid for feet?
2: All right, and also we're doing a new method of picking our order for our our episode.
0: At least for today, mm-hmm. I don't know if this is gonna. No,
2: stay. no, I was just saying today.
0: We're mm-hmm. gonna do rock
2: paper scissors. Rock
0: paper scissors. I think that Alex and I are gonna do rock paper scissors first. No, we're, we're
2: all three of us are gonna do it, and then honor system yeah. with James. Okay, James. shambo.
0: You better not lie to us, okay?
2: I wouldn't right. dare. <laughs>
0: <laughs> rock, rock, paper, paper
2: scissors. scissors Oh wait wait, wait hang on, you all do rock, paper, scissors, shoot? Yeah That's, that's BS rules, okay, whatever, I'll do it
0: Alright, rock, paper, scissors, shoot Alright, James, get, what do you James?
1: have? Scissors Okay, oh, so you beat both of us You beat
0: both of us so like, so You get to pick, get go to pick. <laughs> who goes first?
1: Cece, you're going first, Alex, you're in the middle, I'm last okay.
0: James, I was kind of hoping that you would pick me first Because my laptop's about to die and so, yeah. I wanted to- Alex oh, was is
1: originally. rarely in the middle, so I thought I'd switch it That's up. That's true.
0: I need to plug plug this in, otherwise it's going to pass on to the great beyond. And I ain't got time for that. Okay, you guys. It's my turn. It's my turn. Yeah. So, I got most of my information today from a really well-made video by a YouTuber named Rorad McVeigh in a series he called Places Lost in Time. Yeah. And I am going to be talking about Plymouth Montserrat. Okay. Do you guys know where that is?
2: Uh, yeah. Right off Plymouth Rock. It's its cousin.
0: Oh, my goodness. All right. Well.
2: Are you not going to tell those 1st to have? I
0: will tell you. You just you just be patient, boy. But ever since our Caribbean Cryptids episode, I think that I've really just been craving the beach. And then also having talked about pirates last week, like I'm just <laughs> in a beachy mood um, not that I would want to go. Beachy
2: to- King. Yeah, that's good to say that. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs>
0: you guys are having the mind meld today. But mm. Montserrat, it's in the Caribbean, and it's kind of like a modern Pompeii, if Pompeii were. And I don't want to say brutal, like less brutal, because what happened on at Plymouth was brutal. Uh, but if Pompeii, were, I guess it wasn't as immediately intense. Like you know, oh. Pompeii was just like boom. And then everything's gone. But Plymouth disappeared or was abandoned really over a period of time. Okay. So Plymouth was actually the capital of Montserrat. And, and it's this little beautiful island city. And the island is almost 10 miles long and almost seven miles wide. So it's this little teeny tiny fellow out in the, <laughs> the ocean. And on it, it has this thing called a volcano.
2: Oh, spooky. Mm. <laughs>
0: Called Soufraire <laughs> Hills. And Soufraire is actually apparently French for sulfur outlet, which sounds beautiful.
2: Hmm. Everybody mm-hmm. has a sulfur outlet. <laughs> yeah,
0: <Alex. laughs> Good lord. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So, uh, Roar Red's McVeigh's video, it was great. Alex Alex has cracked himself up over here, James. Goodness. Oh, man. But.
1: I'm I'm well familiar with Antilles because that's actually where one of my favorite tarantulas are from.
0: From from where?
1: Uh, the Antilles Islands.
0: Oh, huh? so was he actually collected there, or was he captured? His oh, uh, captured. one of my favorite, favorite
1: species. I don't own one.
0: Yeah. Oh, oh, James. Do yeah,
1: you- I don't. I don't own a Caribbean of versicolor, unfortunately.
0: Oh, James. <laughs> Could you own oh, one in a
1: heartbeat? Yeah.
0: Okay, all right. Well, at least the option's still on the table for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's on the list.
0: I predict that James is going to have like 14 spiders here before we know it. Cuz right now you have yeah. six, right? Five. Five. For some reason I thought you had six. Okay, anyways. Not yet. So, so let's get back to the island of Montserrat. The video that I watched was great because it had the history of like the island And way back before European (laughs) explorers discovered the island, and I hate using the word discovered because they didn't really discover it. They just kind of realized it existed Mm -hmm. because there were other tribes of people who lived there over the years. But then along comes Christopher Columbus in 1493, and he sees Montserrat, and he's like, that's my land. I'm going to call it Montserrat. And he named that after Santa Maria de Montserrat Abbey in Spain. So years later, English settlers started calling the island home. I guess they're Irish, Irish Catholic settlers who had been exiled. But there's also apparently evidence, you guys, that pirates would hide out on this island when they're being pursued. So maybe some of our pirates that we talked about last week were actually on Montserrat at some point in time.
2: Oh, maybe your pirate was there. That's where she went to.
0: Maybe. But Montserrat, it does have a dark history with slavery, though. Um, many of the Irish Catholics were forcibly put to work and then the Atlantic slave trade brought more slavery to the island and eventually Plymouth became the capital by the mid 1700s the population had just begun to boom and there were about 10,000 people on the island. and remember this is a tiny island but most of them were slaves so it was a pretty bleak island for the most part lots of mistreatment and inhumane you know yes. carryings on. So on St. Patrick's Day, 1768, many of the slaves and a ton of free citizens, they also started planning a rebellion against the wealthy plantation owners. But unfortunately, Mm. the plantation owners got word of what was coming for them. So they were able to stop everything. And a lot of the people that were involved were executed. So now Mm. in Montserrat, to this day, St. Patrick's Day is celebrated, but it's also a remembrance of those who planned The uprising and the attempt for freedom.
1: That was an interesting period. Um, uh, Unless I'm mistaken, that was uh, Cromwell. Like a lot of people forget, you know, Cromwell took over England, killed King Charles I, and he just kicked out all the Irish Catholics.
0: I mean, just kicked them out. It was a weird time for sure. Yeah. But flipping Cromwell. let's, Let's fast forward to 1834 when slavery was finally abolished legally. Okay, but the plantation owners were super salty about it. So they just actually started calling the laborers apprentices and like nothing changed. Um, and so finally in 1836, an abolitionist was touring. I guess it was two abolitionists. They were touring the Caribbean to make sure that the slavery, the abolition rule was being followed. This is the slavery abolition act was being followed and they got to Montserrat and they looked around. They're just like, what the hell's going on here? Like the plantation owners were just like, they're not slaves, they're apprentices. And then <laughs> Joseph Sturge the Fourth and Thomas Harvey, they were the abolitionists, they were like, y'all are playing word games and we're not here for it. They implemented this new rule that ended the apprenticeships, the quote unquote mm. apprenticeships. So then finally everyone was free, they're celebrating, have a jolly old time living life. And then, boom, in eighteen forty three, there's an eight point five magnitude earthquake, which is a big earthquake. Um, And it devastated the entire island. Almost all the infrastructure is destroyed. Thousands of people are killed and it's sad days once again. Then Sturge, the abolitionist, pops back up. And he and his family actually establish a business on the island. Uh, It's a lime business. The fruit, Hmm. not the chemical, I guess.
1: It's funny. I was thinking of uh, lime from the ground.
0: Yeah, no, it was fruit, citrus lime. But... Mm. Sturge and his family, he's actually able to employ a lot of people, and he really helped build Plymouth back up. But then Mother Nature's like, you know what, I think it's time to mix things up again. Boom! Another earthquake. But this time they were able to build back uh, stronger, and, and then it was onward and upward from there. Their economy expanded, especially once air travel allowed for tourism to grow. They were able to build this little airport, which is something they didn't have before. So, we're going to fast forward. Alex, what's the fast forward noise on a VCR tape?
2: Uh,
1: maybe there, there you go.
0: <laughs> so we just fast forwarded to 1979, and the manager of the Beatles actually fell in love with the island. He fell in love with the island so much that he opened up a studio on Montserrat and it became an exciting hub for lots of very famous artists to create their music. So mm. you had people like Paul McCartney walking around just town like like it's nothing. And Elton John, who actually used to be our daughter Gwen's favorite musician when she was a little tiny baby, um, the Dire Straits, Duran Duran, tons more. Also, Jimmy Buffett recorded one of his albums here. Can you guys guess which album was recorded on Montserrat?
1: I don't know. Jimmy She's further in paradise.
0: You wish. No, it was called Volcano.
1: <laughs> oh fuck it.
0: It was called Volcano. So maybe that's just a little foreshadowing. Mm. But
1: Jimmy Buffett was a prophet.
0: All right, James.
2: He foretold of the first cheeseburger as well.
0: (laughs) But all of all of the celebrity activity actually led to higher standard of living in a sense. That is until 1989. Category 4 Hurricane Hugo roared into town, destroying 90% of the infrastructure. Some eleven thousand people were left homeless, which is a lot of people. It was just really a bad mess. And all of the rain, it led to mudslides, and it just wasn't good. But guess what, guys? They rebuilt. They rebuilt. It wasn't quite the same, but they rebuilt in a way that was more (laughs) hurricane-friendly if another one were to hit. So they were like, oh, we'll be prepared in case that happens. But little they know, they didn't need to worry about hurricanes. Um, They needed to worry about Soufraire Hills, you know, the Mm. mountain, a.k.a. the volcano. And it hadn't had a major explosion, according to geologists, since the 1500s. But scientists were keeping an eye on it because occasionally there would be like a minor tremor. Every now and then, and it seemed to be happening in 30-year increments. So every 30 years, Uh, there'd be a little activity and then it'd die away. But then in the 1990s, the seismic activity really started to ramp back up. So July 18th, 1995, everyone was on the island, minding their own. And all of a sudden, there's just this really, really loud roar that many people on the island said sounded like a giant jet engine Mm. roaring. And it didn't come from the sky, you guys. It came from the ground. And then they started to smell sulfur, sulfur outlet. And yeah, everyone by this point, and they do. They call it Satan's volcano, Satan's work, everything that happened here, um, according to people who lived through it, but- people started to realize this isn't good. And they're, they're like, this might not be, you know, this might be a, a legit thing that we need to worry about. So the government establishes this plan of evacuation. And I guess there was a mini explosion on some ash that kind of came down. And then in August, the government evacuated some 6,000 people from Plymouth because that was like right within the zone of where the eruption might kind of cause problems. And so they evacuated all these people and then I guess things got quiet for a little while and they allowed people to return home. But the mountain apparently was literally growing as pressure continued to build. Can you imagine just wow. like, yeah, looking outside your window, and go, oh, the mountain looks bigger today. And then, <laughs> wow. yeah. cool. So they could also hear these unsettling gro- groaning noises coming from the earth. Oh. Yeah.
1: Man, this I is metal really. Is all get out.
0: Yeah, terrifying. But- I want
1: to eat magma too. That's another G- one. James, Looks you young. just
0: have a fascination with like boiling red. Items.
1: Yeah, I want to eat glowing things. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I know a nuclear reactor that. I, <laughs> do I have the thing for you?
1: <laughs>
0: All right. We've gotten <laughs> off topic here. Right now we're talking about Montserrat, you guys. Yeah. So I'm going to almost scurry us back to the, the topic here. <laughs> um. So, anyways, people were evacuated and then nothing happened. They let him come back in. And then finally. After many pyroclastic eruptions, Plymouth was finally evacuated once and for all in April 1996. And then in June 1997, a pyroclastic eruption actually ended up killing dozens of people who were farming. Because what they did was they made this exclusion zone, which was kind of like, it's kind of like Fukushima. Like, you know how you're not allowed to go into that little area? Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what they did for Plymouth. There was this little area where you can't go in there. It's not safe. Only authorized personnel was allowed in there, but people who were evacuated, like their livelihoods and their entire lives were in Plymouth. So they would sneak into the exclusion zone and continue working the land because that's, Oh wow. Yeah. So then there was this one eruption that ended up actually killing not a ton of people, but you know, anybody being killed under these circumstances is not good. So then in July, July 4th to be exact, Um, the ash and debris finally started to pile up on the homes that people once lived and thrived within. And the debris was 20 feet deep in some parts. And by now the town was determined to finally be like beyond recovery. There's nothing we can do to fix it. And so if you look at pictures of the town now, it almost looks like Mad Max-ish because everything is very arid and withered away and just kind of like, it's got those very apocalyptic look to it. I just drew it up. Holy moly. Yeah. Isn't it kind of creepy? Very. Yeah. All of the volcanic activity, it did slow tremendously by 1999, though there have still been some eruptions occasionally. Like in 2009, 2010, they're still happening. Um, Not to the extent I believe it happened when the city was taken over. And Plymouth is still an exclusion zone, meaning only authorized personnel can go there. But there are occasional tours where you can go and see the remnants of the city. Um, and mm. everything has just kind of been sitting there untouched for twenty two years, so everything is just kind of deteriorating. yeah, it's wow. very eerie. <laughs> uh, I do recommend people look up pictures just because it's very haunting, but it's kind of just interesting to see what the earth and Mother Nature can do to a place. but
2: well, you can go can you go there and go like to take a tour of this?
0: Not this really. Place. I think that there are I mean you could still go to Montserrat because half of the island is still. In use, people still mm-hmm. live there. There was a tremendous decline in the population after all of this happened, of course. Uh, but it's starting to climb back up. As of 2020, according to that YouTube video, there are over just over 5,000 people living on the island now, not in the exclusion zone. But nowadays, the government of Montserrat is actually putting a lot of hope into the volcano to help them rebuild because they've never really been able to recover financially since all of this happened. They've had to rely on Great Britain a lot, but per an article by Ryan Shushler in the guardian, they're investing in sand mining and geothermal energy and also tourism. So you can, I know that sometimes you can go and see the remnants of the city.
2: Well, they got nice little vacation spots. I mean, it's it's (laughs) nice looking. I'm looking right now.
0: Well, most of the vacation spots, they don't really have, I mean, that's that's pretty, but they don't have, like, major hotels there anymore. Montserrat, the, the Plymouth, they used to have, like, these grand hotels for tourists and stuff, but mm. now most of the hotels are, like, family-run, which, honestly, I probably prefer more, but mm-hmm. they have a very small airport now, but it can only apparently handle planes that are six-seaters, so... <sighs> It's hard to kind of get people to and from the island, but they also have a ferry that comes from Antigua. And I think that it said occasionally cruise ships will pass by, but people want to go and see the remains of Plymouth and the volcano. And to be honest, I can't blame them. I would love to go and see it. I
2: would too. Mm -hmm.
0: So you guys, that is Montserrat. It is now abandoned. Plymouth, Montserrat.
2: Well, I'm doing Herculaneum. Herculaneum.
1: Herculaneum.
0: Hercul- Herculaneum.
2: Herculaneum. So, are either of you familiar with Herculaneum? No. No. Well, Herculaneum, Herculaneum was a Roman seaside resort town for the ultra-wealthy. Ooh, nice. Yeah. It's located on the coast, so, you know, it's got that beautiful sea breeze, that beautiful view.
1: Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah. This place, it was the swanky of the swanky. <laughs> <laughs> and... uh yeah, so this this Roman resort was uh just covered in these elaborate structures, all this beautiful art all over everything. And arche- archaeological excavations even uncovered like private villas, shops, bathhouses and just really well-preserved everyday objects. So mm. the fan- the fancy city was rocked by an earthquake in 62 AD.
0: Okay, so so it's an older city. It's not like her, it's not like a newer city. No. Okay. All right. For some reason, for some reason, when you said that it was like a seaside resort town, I thought I was picturing like nowadays, not uh, ancient no. times. The,
1: the Romans, man, they they knew what was up. They had stuff. Well, we talked about it with their aqueducts. They had stuff that like even now is just now becoming mainstream around the world.
0: James Mondland. is obsessed with the Romans.
1: Yeah, yeah, for
2: good reason. For
0: good reason. Yeah.
2: I mean, this had cars, mopeds. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <Vespas>? <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there's a, this big earthquake in 62 AD that caused a lot of destruction and damage to most of the structures in the city. Mm. And so, for many years, they began repairing these these buildings and, col- and not colosseum, but theaters and these type of things until 79 AD. Uh-oh. Do any of you know what happened in 79 AD? Uh, to a more popular Roman city.
0: Why was it Pompeii?
2: Yes, Pompeii <laughs> happened. So
0: it's far, you know, far
2: more famous than Diem. Uh But yeah, Pompeii. So Herculaneum is in the blast radius of Mount Vesuvius. Uh, it's even closer to the volcano than Pompeii. But Pompeii had this. When it erupted, its ash went southeast. Mm. And so just completely slammed Pompeii and places much further south uh-huh. than that. Herculaneum was directly west of the volcano. And even though it's in the blast radius, it wasn't really where the constant ash was falling. It got right. hit with the ash, but it wasn't buried quite. It, it was buried. But not quite like Pompeii.
0: Okay, so there could have been survivors. No. (laughs) (laughs)
2: okay. So, it doesn't mean it was untouched. Instead, it was slammed with 16 meters of ash and mud. Oh, that's a lot.
0: That's a lot. It
2: was still slammed. Just not like Pompeii. What's interesting, though, is that the Slayer of, uh, I guess, Detritus, it saved two-story... Domus Homes, and the internal architecture and decor of all of the buildings.
0: So they could dig it up and see exactly what it was like? Yes.
2: It really neatly preserved all of it, including Gosh. features like wood and marble. So doors, like anything, doors, bed frames, anything made with wood was really nicely preserved.
0: Wow.
2: Yes. So it was like a it's kind of a, a marble. marvel like they they've found marble decorations, jewelry, and even like food and uh papyrus.
0: Man. There.
2: Yeah, so Whoosh. it's like really it's like the perfect situation to preserve all these things. Uh and it really gave them a, a unique view into the daily lives of this because it did kill there were 300 people all found in like one area. Mhm. Hmm. So they were able to look at their clothing and to analyze what they were wearing and all this stuff to further prove when Mount Vesuvius actually exploded because they would look at see how heavily dressed they were, if it was winter, summer, mm-hmm. that type of thing. Mm-hmm. And so the, these were actually able to determine Mount Vesuvius' eruption date. Wow. Neato. Yeah. So this, uh, this little snapshot into daily Roman life. Was nice, you know. They but they did have to do a little bit of digging. So, oh, real quick, uh, I was talking about the dead bodies. Most scientists, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta get to the good stuff. Um, most scientists have determined that ash was not what killed the residents of Pompeii and Herculean. Yeah, Her- Herculeum. Um, it was actually thought that instead, it was the temperature. Because so like the fried? temperature was would have hit 480 degrees Fahrenheit.
0: That would have Oof. probably been a very quick and death.
2: that yeah and, and that wasn't just the epicenter of Mount Vesuvius. That was over six miles away from Mount Vesuvius. Man. 480 degrees. They're saying that it would have instantly killed anybody in the area.
0: Yeah.
1: Man. Yeah.
2: Isn't that wild? Over six
1: miles away. That is insane. Just baking people, man. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Immediate death. Baked Romans. So yeah, no matter where you were, inside, outside, under the water, swimming in that fancy pool, you're done, cooked, finito. Which is why this place is so (laughs) (laughs) well-preserved. Interestingly, though, there are two stories that accompany the rediscovery of Herculaneum. The first is that while digging in a well, in 1707, a number of marble fragments and statues were found. So they're making mm-hmm. a well. They get down to the bottom, right? Like, oh, some statues here. Can you imagine?
0: That, that'd, <laughs> that'd be pretty dang surreal. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. So that's the traditional story of how they found it: is just digging a well. They found it, and then 31 years later, they began to actually work to unearth all of this stuff. And they've been doing it ever since. They're still excavating.
0: That is amazing. Now,
2: they're backing off of the excavation and more restoring everything Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit better. But it's still, there's a lot of stuff that is still buried underneath all of that.
0: I want to go see it.
2: Now, the other story that is less appealing for tourism, I would imagine, Uh is that it was actually discovered by treasure hunters years earlier. And they had just looted a bunch of stuff. They had been looting stuff before it was actually discovered. Oh, wow. um, and I find that explanation to be far more likely. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that is uh, the consensus now, is that it does look like some other individuals have been finding and have found the property before this happened. Uh, hmm. But it's kind of hard to find that portion of the information. Like the the travel website even keeps the traditional story, but any of them that have both stories say the traditional story is this, but this is actually what, what it looks probably like
1: happened.
2: Happen.
0: Mm. Yeah. Man, well, I want to go see it. I want to go see yeah. all the houses yeah. as they were.
2: I wanted. To, I wanted. To, I know. I was looking it up, and it only takes half a day to tour the city.
0: Ooh, let's go! Mm. High five! Yeah, yeah. yeah,
1: yeah they yeah, need so. to just rebuild it though, so we can all be Roman again. Just right. Yeah, lie <laughs> back go. on a triclinium and eat some grapes. Oh, Yeah,
0: <laughs> I think that yeah. James is so obsessed with. Rome, because he used to be from there. Maybe. Like from yeah, this time, that's, that's yeah. where
1: I learned to uh, do everything laying down. <laughs> <It's>
0: so, <true. laughs>
1: so yeah, they they say they
2: say you could tour the whole city in like two to three hours if you really just like want to blaze through it. Let's
0: look, let's go.
1: Yeah, Neat. James.
0: James, what are you talking about?
1: I'm talking about Easter Island Ooh. and like your cc it's really quasi abandoned because technically technically there's like a hair under 8000 people there now yeah but a lot's happened it's it's been through <laughs> a lot let's say um, first of all Easter Island was colonized for lack of a better word truly discovered really really discovered by the Rapa Nui people and like, we're not even 100% sure when exactly but Presumably in the ballpark of 800 AD. Some people say as late as 1500 AD, uh, or 1200 rather, but I'm a little skeptical of the the later date. I think that they've been around probably somewhere between 800 and 1200. So what ended up happening is folks from Polynesia, the Rapa Nui in this instance, they, uh, they took two canoes, according to oral tradition, and sailed from a a Polynesian island, an East Polynesian island, to Rapa Nui. And that is insane. Um, This is something that fascinates me a lot, and I'm not going to ramble too much about it, but it's something we'll probably talk about in the future. But the Polynesian, for lack of a better word, empire, is just a really interesting thing, where people had these, these little catamaran boats and star charts memorized more, more so than anything. They just, they had a massive sprawling empire over a huge chunk of the planet, all these islands that they managed to control politically and religiously without any kind of breakdown in, uh, that, that kind of governance for a long flipping time. And it's just really weird and surreal. And we don't really think about it or learn much about it. Um, other than, I guess, Moana nowadays. Uh, but it's, it's really neat. But this is a very, very, very isolated island. Uh, it's, it's close to Chile, but not really. And the, the closest inhabited island, we've talked about it before because I have a listener there, is Pitcairn Island, which only has like fi- what is it 50 people, something like that. A crazy okay. low number.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah,
1: Not many. But when people think of Easter Island, they think of what the Rapa Nui did there. They think of the Moai heads. Those are really flipping cool. They're iconic. And this is actually part of how we know that they originated from Eastern Polynesia because the architecture of the Moai heads actually matches a lot of heads, uh, more or less, in, in structure uh, in Eastern Polynesia. So that's part of how we, we know that, that in linguistics. So what happened? Yeah. <laughs> uh, a lot happened. One the Polynesian rat. They actually ended up bringing something that ate all the trees. And that was great for like cultivating stuff, but it wasn't so great for a lot of other aspects of the wildlife. And that made it a little harder to uh, just maintain a population. But the big thing that happened, big thing that happened was 1722 when Europeans showed up. Um, few really bad things happened there um the biggest <laughs> being what's called blackbirding do you guys know what blackbirding is
0: no, no. what's that
1: blackbirding by the way is captain cook who who showed up and and you know they're really close to the Cook islands incidentally but uh blackbirding is the cutest name I've ever heard for slavery Ugh. basically what it is is when you either deceive somebody lie to them about where they're going or or you coerce them somehow. So it's not full blown abduction, but it's that is
0: it, you're, you're the definitely worst not thing being I've honest. I've ever heard yeah. of.
1: Well, yeah. the one thing that makes it slightly better than slavery is that it isn't genetic. So it was indentured servitude, but still, holy moly! So yeah. Yeah. at the time, there was about three thousand Nui people. Ninety four percent of them were either killed or blackbirded. So, 94% of the population on the island are gone. Of that percentage, about a dozen came back alive. That's all. Jeez. But see, it gets worse because when they came back, see, they had been exposed to all those uh, diseases like smallpox and whatnot. And so, when they came back, being the little typhoid Marys that that dozen people were, uh, they ended up dropping the population to 1,500. So, hmm. put that in perspective, they're just now, a hair, they're about 7,700, and only 45% of that population are Rapa Nui. So, they have not made a huge bounce back is where I'm going with that. Hmm. What ended up happening over time uh, is uh, Chile ended up saying, well, this is a special territory, and... You know, we're going to give them citizenship. Really, they annexed it like late 19th century, about uh, the 60s. They gave the Rapa Nui Chilean citizenship. And then just 2007, just 2007, they decided it was a special territory and sort of, I wouldn't call it autonomous, but it it got a lot more authority and self-regulation. And a lot of that has been extremely helpful in the Rapa Nui culturally. Uh, As well as just in terms of, you know, being in charge of their own destiny. But one of the worst things about all this that had taken place, all these slave raids and plagues and whatnot, is they didn't write stuff down. The Polynesians didn't write stuff down in general, or as far as I know at all, uh, they used an oral history. Mm -hmm. And not only did they have an oral history, but, and this is the, the real kicker, there were a special I wouldn't say cast but but a special kind of person was taught this history. You know, they were kind of like living encyclopedias of everything that happened. Well, guess what? All of those died. Mm-hmm. So so a lot of information about Rapa Nui has been lost as a result. Oh. Um, yeah. And including, we don't really know for sure what the Moai heads are for. Most people think that they are a form of ancestor worship, but we don't know. I'm very skeptical of that simply because they're all sort of identical. They kind of remind me more of like what would be like uh, centuries, I guess. But yeah. And, and to be fair, you know, Captain Cook wasn't deliberately trying to wipe these folks out or nothing, but it's a very tragic circumstance that took place. And we don't think about that component too often. I, I think that the, the, the romance of the, the Moai head sort of detracts from the more tragic history that sort of befell uh, that entire people.
0: Geez, Louise James.
1: Hmm. Yeah.
0: Leaving us on a very happy note, aren't you? Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, they're
1: making a comeback. They're yeah, that's comeback. true.
0: Um, I saw that the Moai heads, like they have bodies. Is that true?
1: Yes, that's another weird thing uh, that we, uh, people aren't aware of. Yeah, if you keep digging, and and uh, I can't believe I didn't think of that. This is the weirdest thing about the Moya heads. Uh, there's no stone on that island <laughs> that matches those heads. So they were transported. So not only did two canoes end up discovering and colonizing the island – but then they had to, like, using this vast network, this vast island empire that, that stretches out for most of the ocean, uh, what they had to do was was transport Jeez. all that to the island. So it had to have been very important. It had to have had enormous significance in order for them to flip and do that to begin with. In fact, some people think that it wasn't just the presence of the rat that... Uh, decimated a lot of the the timber land, but actually that they, they had to use, they cut all the timber down to sort of build the network needed to bury those big (laughs) stone heads. So it's a very odd thing.
0: Yeah. James, do you have any theories on what they are? You're always full of them.
1: I'm inclined to think that they're sentries. I think that the Island itself was originally, claimed as a religious site. I think okay. that that was the point. Um, and when I say sentries, I mean, I think that they encircle the island in order to guard against nefarious spiritual forces or to create a sacred space around the island for ritual purposes. And I'm basing that on absolutely nothing, though, because it's really just <laughs> a pet theory. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Oh. I, I, I. Well, James, thank you for talking about Easter Island. You know, mm. I've Easter Island something that I didn't really know that much information about, like, other than mm. the Moyheads. That's about mm. it. Right. So, yeah. James, thank you for sharing that. I think that that, you guys, is our latest episode of Abandoned Places. Ooh. So we got volcanoes. We got a whole bunch Small of box. tragedy. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I hope you guys are. Uh, I think that, you know what, after this episode, I think we're all entitled to go get a big old scoop of ice cream.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah. Settle down on the couch and watch your favorite TV show. Cuddled up in a warm blanket. If it's weighted, 10 extra points to you. Oh, snap.
1: <laughs> you you've re- you literally just described my rest of my evening.
0: Look at that. Look at that. I- <laughs> James, I'm not sure if you knew this or not, but some people say I'm psychic. So.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, okay, hmm. Alex, I think it's time. Oh! <laughs> all right, all right. Draw one out of the vase. I'm the vase. All right, you guys. All right. Well, what this? um, this topic is shapeshifters. Somebody Ooh. wants us to talk about the Tanuki, werewolves, and Diableros. <gasps>
1: oh, I thought Ooh, a- oh man, I'm so torn on which one I want to cover more.
0: James, James thought, is really into shape shifting, you guys.
2: I legitimately thought Diableros said diabetes. <laughs> no,
0: it <does> look, <laughs> I did kinda or it does kinda look like that with the way I wrote it. But Diableros. Yeah. And this topic came to us from Brent in Connecticut. Thank you for submitting this topic. Do you guys I'm sorry, do you guys want to hear some fun facts about Brent?
2: mm let's hear.
0: Alright, <laughs> let me grab my list of fun facts. Okay. So about Brent, you guys, uh, he, his hair mm-hmm. once caught fire while celebrating a friend's birthday party at Chuck E. Cheese when he was really little. And then also many years later, you guys came full circle. He met and fell in love with his now partner at that very same Chuck E. Cheese. Oh, wow. So
2: Good for you,
1: Brent.
0: Brent. They were, they were what, James?
1: <laughs> There's a thing, twist ending. It was Chuck E. <laughs> 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 all right you guys
0: so that is our episode on abandoned places next week we're going to talk about shapeshifters we cannot wait um i guess do you guys have any, anything you want to say before we go and get our ice cream and lay down with our weighted blanket uh
2: yes our music is by grant cook you can find yes. his music on spotify amazon music itunes anywhere you listen to music
0: so Easy. until next time you guys we hope that you can keep it strange Sh-